know, I know. I hear it, John. I'm sliding in here at the last minute. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. It's not as easy to do this thing by remote as you would think it is. I am so glad that you're with us. This is the nation's number one program for you as a family caregiver. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. If you're now just joining us for the first time, understand this, that there are more than 65 million Americans right now serving as a family caregiver, and we're so glad that you are with us if you're one of that 65 million strong. How do you help a family caregiver? What does it look like? That's what this program is all about. And if you want to learn more, go to hopeforthecaregiver.com. You can take advantage of all the resources we have out there, including our free podcast, which is now well over 600 episodes. We've got a little form you can fill out. If you've got something on your mind you want to submit to the show, we'll try to give you a call. We'll try to connect up with you, discuss whatever you want. If that's something you want us to do, to follow back. If you just have a comment, whatever, just send us a note at hopeforthecaregiver.com. Dot com. Why do we do this? Because healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And I want to jump right into a topic today that is affecting so many of us. It's the word obligation. And it's part of the fog of caregivers. Fear, obligation, and guilt. And we all get lost in this. And here's how you know if you're in an obligation trap. You use words like, I have to, I must, I should, I need to. I'm supposed to. I feel obligated. That's what all that means. And it could be taking care of your loved one. It could be having to dance around family members that are opinionated but not helpful. How many of you all have that? Where you've got people that sit on the sidelines and don't lift a finger to do what you're doing, but they sure do want to tell you how to do what you're doing. And so you feel obligated to dance around that instead of risking a confrontation that may make it worse. Well, you don't have to be combative to confront. And so I want to spend a little bit of time today on this program to talk about that word, obligation. And what can you do to retrain your mind? Now, this is not going to come overnight. Please don't misunderstand here. You cannot change direction that fast. It's like turning an aircraft carrier. My dad was in the Navy and he said it takes like 15 miles to turn an aircraft carrier 180 degrees. You know, it just doesn't happen on a dime. That's kind of where we are as caregivers. This is a massive undertaking that we have. Some circumstances are more challenging than others, but it's still a big, big journey. So give yourself a little bit of grace first that you're going to have a learning curve on this. But you can change that word obligation to a word I use called stewardship. How do you get through a fog? Use the GPS. That's how Navy ship captains do it, airline pilots, so forth. They use an external mechanism to help them orient them in space and time. A GPS Fear, obligation, guilt, that fog, GPS, grace, purpose, stewardship. Okay, stewardship. Now, what does stewardship mean? It's kind of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? It's not a word we use a lot in our country, clearly, because we're $30 trillion in debt. We are squandering the great resources of this country. Not only the, the potential of people, 
but the, the natural resources we have, the, 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 the environment that we have, all these kinds of things, we have squandered it. And we get some people that want to go all extreme in one way or the other. But if you go back to Genesis, the first job of Adam was to tend the garden. He was a steward. And that's in our DNA. That was before the fall. That's in our DNA, to be stewards. We are caring for the property of someone else. We are caring for what belongs to someone else. We're caring for who belongs to someone else. And I've had to wrap my mind around this on more than more times than I can count. Because I used to think it was all up to me with my wife, Gracie. I used to think this was all up to me. I had to do this. I had to get this done. I had to figure this out. But then over a period of time, I learned she doesn't belong to me. I didn't do this to her. I can't undo this. She has a savior. I'm not that savior. I have a different role to play. I didn't go to medical school. I don't know how to do all these things. I have a different role to play. I'm a steward. I'm a steward of her care. And I have to answer to the one she belongs to. And that's God. And I trust in his strength and his provision and his direction in this. And that gives me the confidence in to deal with doctors, nurses, all types of medical providers, family members, friends, whatever. People who want to work out their salvation on us and, and explain how their theology applies in our situation. You ever had that before? Where people come up and say, oh, you know, God told me this and God told me that and you can do this and, and what did you do that God would do this or why would you, there must be something, you know, all that kind of stuff. People always want to work out their theology on people who are suffering because it's a threat to their theology. But if I'm a steward of this and recognize that God owns this, I don't know this. It's going to change my vocabulary. It's going to change the way I respond to people. And it's going to change my understanding of what God's promises are in Scripture. And it's going to increase my faith and my trust in the one who does. Because now I see all these things in that context. Oh, wait a minute. It's not all up to me. And I want my language to reflect that. So how you deal with other people, I'm not responsible to answer to them. I'm responsible to answer to God. And I don't have to answer to people who are sitting on the fringe of this thing, who want to sit there and, and have, the, they're up in the cheap seats of the stadium while I'm out there on the field and they want to criticize. I was just talking to someone yesterday about that. And they're tap dancing around in-laws that are not helping, but they're being extremely opinionated and condescending. But they're in the cheap seats. When you understand what the roles are, it's going to give you that confidence to how to deal with this. And you don't have to be combative with them. Sometimes it's a matter of not saying anything at all. And one of the things I've learned through this process I'm going through with Gracie right now in Denver uh, with her surgery and... She is dealing with a second surgery because she has a post-op infection. So I'd appreciate your continued prayers on that. They're on top of it, but it's a challenge and she feels pretty miserable about it. But she did get up and walk and she is doing uh, remarkable. 
uh, progress. She's making remarkable progress in spite of what uh, she has to live with. And and she's she, I tell Gracie she's tougher than a two dollar steak, and and she is, and, and she's she's got a lot of grit in her. And you could go out to our Facebook page at Hope for the Caregiver and take a look at it because I filmed a picture of her walking while all the nurses were cheering her on, and it's an extraordinary picture. But I've learned through this process that it is very difficult to do nothing. It's really difficult to be still. It takes everything I got to bite my tongue and learn to like the taste of blood. I don't have to show up to every discussion and have an opinion and, and wage war. I don't have to go to every fight that I get a ticket to. Sometimes I can just be still. I am not obligated to explain myself to people who are not invested partners in this. I don't have to do it. And neither do you. And the way you learn to interact with them is to understand that concept a bit deeper in your own soul so that it's going to give you that confidence when you walk in among people like that, when you interact with them. You're not hooked into these emotional tete-a-tetes. You tracking with me on that? Because it's really easy to get hooked into that. And you want to defend your actions, you want to say something, you want to push back on them, all those kind of things. No, no, no. You keep your eyes focused on your Savior. He owns this. Look down at your hands. If you don't see nail prints, this ain't yours to fix. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. How are you doing? How are you holding up? What's going on with you? If you want to let us know, go to hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a little form there. Send me a note. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know if you want us to call you from the show and talk about what's going on with you. If you've got a question, you've got a comment. Also, take advantage of our podcast out there. It's free. Take a listen. There's so many different episodes that we have, well over 600. You don't have to download all of them. But take a listen. We put out the whole show. We put out special music, all kinds of things. Books are out there. Music's out there. Blogs out there. Take advantage of it. Don't try to do this by yourself. Friends don't let friends caregive alone. <laughs> listen, I'm doing this remotely from Denver while I'm helping with some things with Gracie in the hospital. She's going through this surgery. It's a big surgery. It was the biggest surgery she's ever had, and that says something. Uh, 82 surgeries. And now she's got to have another one here either uh, very quick, either today, tomorrow, or possibly next week. But they, uh, they're they going to go in there and take care of a post-op infection that she's developed from this surgery. I talked to the surgeon at length the other day. He's very upbeat. He said, look, I know this is you know, unpleasant and it's a bump in the road, but we're going to get this taken care of. Don't worry. Uh, she can continue walking. And she got up and walked and there's all the nurses came out on the floor, cheered her on. It was such a great experience to see uh, that going on and just the determination on her face as she did this. If you want to take a look, I'll put a 
little quick video on Facebook of her walking. Her prosthetist and physical therapist are helping her, and all the nurses are clapping for her. And, and there's a quote that I saw from Theodore Roosevelt that seemed incredibly appropriate, which says, It is only through labor and painful effort, by grim energy and resolute courage, that we move on to better things. Does that resonate with you as a caregiver? It is only through labor and painful effort, by grim energy and resolute courage, that we move on to better things. And we're seeing that being played out in our daily lives, but across the world now as we watch this thing with Ukraine. And it's, it's really refreshing to see a president of that country who is so patriotic and so determined to do this. You know, and Theodore Roosevelt was that kind of president. We've had a few of them like that over the years. And we've had a few that were not so much. And I'll let you decide for yourself who you think was that way. I won't get into that, but I know that Theodore Roosevelt was one of them. And patriotism being displayed in the face of tremendous odds is is remarkable and very inspiring to see and our you know we have a responsibility to to pray for these individuals to help in any way we can and in the next segment i'm going to talk to someone who's doing that and i think you'll you'll find this interview very meaningful but as i watch this grim energy and resolute courage this labor and painful effort that roosevelt talked about as i watched it displayed in my wife the other day it's pretty inspiring and I was quite moved. Hope for the caregiver on Facebook if you want to go out and take a look at that. Like our page. And we post a lot of stuff out there that you can also take advantage of. And find all kinds of resources and helps for you along the way. I want to circle back to what we were talking about in the A block. And that was this term of obligation. Now, obligation is such a trap for us as caregivers. We get so mired in this. And here's, here's how you know. Let me just refresh this. Words like, I must, I have to, I'm supposed to, I should have, I need to. All those kinds of things keep us shackled in this obligation trap. And I suggested in the A block that we change that word to stewardship. We don't own this. We answer to the owner who owns this. God owns this. So that frees us up from having to explain a lot of things to other people who are marginally involved, who just want to parachute in, give their opinion, and jump out. We don't have to do that. We don't have to get hooked into that. But here's the other side of this. We also change our vocabulary when speaking to other people about their journey. I've tried to take the words, you need to out of my vocabulary, or you should, or even I think you should. <laughs> I think I try to take that one out as well. Because all of those words in give a, a mental and emotional positioning somehow that I'm the arbiter of this, that I know what you're supposed to do. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I'm doing good to know what my role is. So take those words out and change your vocabulary to, you know, Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what my responsibilities are. Here's what I believe the Lord has led me to do in this and base it on Scripture. And you don't have to explain yourself to people who are not stakeholders in this. 
but somehow we feel obligated to do so. Maybe it's a family member, and they sit there on the sidelines with their arms crossed, and, and, and they second-guess everything you do, but they're not helping. But boy, they sure got an opinion. You're not obligated to explain yourself to them. Once you understand where the chain of command is, that frees you up so that you can function in this thing a little clearer and a little more confident of what your role is. You are a steward. You do not own it. You cannot change it. You cannot cure it. You didn't cause it. You're a steward. And in such, you do a different set of tasks with a different attitude with that knowledge. And so when somebody comes up to you and wants to criticize you, you are confident then because you know who you are. You know your place. You know your role. You don't have to feel ashamed. You don't have to feel embarrassed. You don't have to feel second class. You don't have to feel like you're somehow the you know, fifth wheel of something or that you've got to prove something to somebody. You're showing up every day to care for your loved one to the best of your ability, often without training and usually without money being paid to do that job. You know, I went to music school. At not one point during my entire collegiate career did we ever cover the concept of being a caregiver. Here I am. Here you are. But if you are going into this caregiving journey with your head so squirrely and your heart so torqued because you feel like you are being evaluated and you're being judged by others and you feel obligated to somehow make sure everybody understands what you're doing and why you're doing it, that's only going to lead to more stress for you. And when's a good time to be stressed out? You already got enough on you. Now, you're not going to do this with some kind of trick. You're not going to do this with some kind of, okay, Peter said use this script. No, you're going to do this because you're going to start being confident in who you are. You are a steward. You are a steward. It is stewardship. And that is the difference between you and everyone else when it comes to your loved one. You are a steward of this person to care for them to the best of your abilities. And when you get into these places where you feel you're being hooked into that argument or to that somehow I, I have to explain myself to these people while they look on disapprovingly, stop. It may be the hardest thing you've ever done, but bite your tongue and learn to like the taste of blood. Let your silence speak for yourself. You don't have to answer all of their questions. You don't have to give them a blow-by-blow blow and somehow they can have an evaluation sheet of what you're doing and how you're doing it. You do have to do that with God. You don't have to do that with them. You understand the difference? And God is going to walk with you through this in ways that you cannot ex really imagine right now. You're not going to expect this, but you're going to start to see it. You're going to see these principles start playing out in your life. I promise you will. If you just trust him in it. 
and you'll start seeing scriptures that mean something different to you now because you're walking through it. Remember last week I talked about the 23rd Psalm and I went back and I looked at it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me. It implies this presence of God through this, that I'm not there to somehow slog my way through this thing and figure it all out. He's going to walk with me through it. That's what the name Emmanuel means. God with us. God tabernacles with us. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, Scripture says. Jesus says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And he's not going to abandon you. And you remember when, he ascended, when Jesus ascended to heaven? What did he tell his disciples? He said, you know what? I got to go here so that another can come. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. So they were never left alone. His presence is with us in this. And he will guide you. And he will instruct you on this. And yes, he'll give you the strength for today. He'll give you the grace to make amends where you get it wrong, because you will. But as you do this, you will discover that you're being infused with this confidence that you're in the right place, that you're doing it. And the, the sniping of other people, the lackadaisical part of other people, is going to kind of fade away. You're going to have boundaries around them, and you're going to be able to enforce those boundaries for your own protection. And you're not going to do it in a combative way. You're going to do it in a confident way. You don't have to fight with people. You just be confident in it. And if there's one thing I've discovered with myself and fellow caregivers is that confidence is so fleeting for us. We feel so unsure of ourselves, so unsteady. We don't know where solid ground is. That's what this program is about. It's to help point us to that solid ground. And it starts with you understanding who you are in Christ. It starts with you understanding the role of stewardship. He has infused you with everything you need to do this because he's infused you with himself and he is all you need. And he will guide you. He will lead you. You can trust him. Okay? We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. How do you stay healthy and strong as you care for someone who isn't? And that's where about is equipping you to do this journey a little calmer, a little healthier, and dare I say it, a little more joyful. And all of that can be found in the principles of Scripture that support us through this. And we're going to see difficult things. We're going to experience these things, but we're not going to experience them alone. Speaking of which, I want to transfer a little bit from what we've been talking about and, and talk to someone very special to me. She has been such a dear sister and 
through all this stuff with Gracie that I'm going through right now in Denver and just a, a wonderful mentor to me as I have stepped out on the stages and shared the message I believe God has put on my heart. And right now on her heart, like so many, weighs heavy of what's going on in Ukraine. And I want her to share what her organization is doing and how you could pray, how you could be involved, how you can connect. And this is Johnny Erickson Tata. So Johnny, welcome to the program. Oh, Peter, it's so good to be with you. And like many of your listeners, I've been praying about Gracie and and you and standing by her hospital bed. So uh, just know that we continue to remember you and your wife in our intercessions. Thank you very much. We've had some very meaningful times with you in the hospital with us in this journey. And so uh, uh, they're just incredibly moving uh, to see how God knits our hearts together and gives us strength for the day uh, and bright hope for tomorrow. And you are such a big part of that. Your heart is heavy right now because of what's going on there. The whole world is watching this aghast and you bring a different perspective than most and with your teams and all the work that's going on. Talk a little bit about what's going on in Ukraine with individuals with disabilities. Well, thanks for asking, Peter. And uh, when I served on the Disability Advisory Committee to the U.S. State Department, um, we did many studies and found out that in times of great conflict and times of war, it is the people with disabilities, the elderly, those with fragile medical conditions, the most vulnerable. These are the ones who are often forgotten, uh, most frequently abandoned, uh, left behind. And we are seeing that happen, unfortunately, in Ukraine. Um, there are 2.6 million people with disabilities in Ukraine. And, of course, that includes a lot of family members, a lot of caregivers. And um, they are making, as best they can, um, the best of it, so to speak, as missiles and rocket strikes and this invasion continues. Um, our ministry, Johnny and Friends, helped organize an evacuation of people with disabilities, a small group, only 35. But nevertheless, they were able to uh, make it to the Polish border, quadriplegics, paraplegics, young people with cerebral palsy and their caregivers, I'm happy to say. And we were able to get them across the Polish border uh, in good time, uh, jumping ahead of the long uh, queue that was waiting there at the Polish border. But when the officials saw the great need of these uh, people with disabilities, the elderly, and their caregivers, uh, they gave us clear access. And I'm happy to say that this group has now been relocated into the Netherlands, uh, welcoming homes uh, where there are blankets and medical supplies, things as simple uh, yet as necessary as catheters and drainage bags and diapers, again, all for people with disabilities. We are now in the process of working with our in-country partners in Ukraine to get a second uh, evacuation of people with disabilities out. But that's only scratching the surface. As I said, there are 2.6 million people with disabilities still in Ukraine. And we're calling on the church all across Ukraine not to forget those disabled in their communities, especially uh, when there are evacuations from major cities. Because a lot of these people with disabilities and their caregivers, they're up on the fifth, sixth, seventh floors of apartment buildings. 
Uh, they just can't jump out of bed, run down the stairs, rush out the door and make a dash for the border. They can't do that. And so we're asking the church, please, not to forget, not to uh, abandon uh, caregivers and their charges in these times of uh, uh, critical evacuation from major cities. Um, and we're asking for prayer that um, caregivers, especially in uh, facilities that serve disabled orphans, uh, not abandon their charges as well. Um, when there is a panic, um, such as we are seeing in some cities in eastern Ukraine, a lot of these staff people abandon their posts at care facilities. They feel a more urgent need to be with their own families and help evacuate them. And that leaves these people left behind in very vulnerable, tenuous uh, situations. So please, I'm asking our friends listening to uh, not only pray for the church, that it remember the most vulnerable, but to join with us in this effort uh, through your prayers. And if you want to assist uh, financially, um, by all means, visit my Facebook page at uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. And we are purchasing supplies in Poland and in Romania to take to the border. And we are meeting our in-country partners there at the border to make transfers of catheters, diapers, uh, medicine, um, the sorts of things that people with disabilities need in times of crisis. So that's the update, Peter, and it's pretty urgent. Uh, the Russian army is uh, is pretty ruthless. Sometimes we've heard, and this is not verified, but we have heard that the Russian army is using the elderly and children uh, with Down syndrome as shields uh, so that the Ukrainian freedom fighters cannot counterattack. Uh, so that's a, a tenuous situation as well. You know, when you were talking about that and you, the people at the border saw this group of people coming who had such afflictions, it reminds me of that passage in Matthew when Jesus looked out at the crowds and he saw them, the lame, the blind. And in one translation, it's the only translation that, that actually refers to those missing limbs. And of course, as a husband of somebody who's missing two limbs, I I resonate deeply with, you know, when it says Jesus looked out and he had such compassion over them. And I, I'm, I think that's something that we can all unite is that those who are seeing this will, will be moved with compassion. A, you know, we have common grace in this world that God has extended common grace. And I, I have heard, and I've seen several news reports that there are many Russian soldiers who are aghast about this, that they're not wanting to do this. And they're, they're trapped between their military service and, and their humanity. And I'm I'm asking also for us to specifically pray that more and more will will see that this is this is wrong. Um, I, I, Johnny, as as you know, Gracie is in the hospital now. I can't imagine having to evacuate her. She wouldn't make it. And and we're spoiled yeah. here in America because we have, you know, all types of modern facilities and so forth. But try to push somebody in a wheelchair on streets that don't have a lot of cutouts and wheelchair ramps and things such as that and cobblestones and things. It, it, I, I can only, I, I just, I can barely imagine the, the, the fear and the panic that's going on. And I appreciate very much that your team is there that, that and I, and I, I'm asking for folks that are listening today to really 
not only lift them up in prayer, but also prayerfully consider supporting this. I, I've known Johnny for a long time, and what she does with her outreaches, whether it's through Wheels for the World, her wheelchair ministry, whether it's through the family retreats, all these things. And now here they are right in the thick of this, helping with such a thing, such as catheters and diapers. And you all, this audience understands how important those things are. And I'm asking for you to prayerfully consider this. Johnny, share with us a little bit more on your heart on this. And, and, you know, as somebody who lives with significant disabilities, you know, what, what do you pray in this? What scriptures are you, you know, in your heart, just chewing on to keep you uh, sustained in this as you watch this? Cause you understand this plight in ways that very few can. Well, I, I think of second Corinthians chapter four, verse eight, Peter. Um, it's, it's an incredible promise. It says, Though we are hard-pressed on all sides, we are not crushed. And I'm just asking God that uh, the caregivers who live in Ukraine, uh, those Ukrainians with disabilities, the elderly, uh, that they not, uh, that although they are hard-pressed on all sides, that they not give up, they not despair, that they not plummet into hopelessness, because they've got the promise that if they trust in God, they will not be crushed. And you mentioned a good point a moment ago, Peter. You talked about compassion, the compassion of some uh, uh, Russian soldiers, and certainly the compassion of those Polish um, uh, border officials who who allowed our group safe passage and quick passage across the border. I think also of the compassion of the people of the Netherlands, good friends of ours, all of them, who have opened up their homes to of these 35 individuals, um, it, that, that's going to be the miracle in this conflict. We've been asking God for a huge miracle in Ukraine, and I, I believe part of that miracle may well come from people's hearts being turned, that compassion will overwhelm them, that they will take great pity, and they'll observe the, the, the needs of the Ukrainian people, the heroics of the Ukrainian people. The fact that they are valiantly standing strong and resisting a true Goliath uh, at their borders. And um, uh, who knows what God will do. But I'm praying for a miracle because, Peter, I simply cannot bear the thought of elderly people, disabled orphans, uh, children with disabilities, adults, paraplegics, quadriplegics, stuck on fifth floors of apartment buildings because they can't get out, they can't escape, they can't run out of the city when the bombs start falling. I can't, I can't even imagine the anxiety and terror which might be in their hearts. And so we're praying for compassion in a big way. Indeed. And Johnny, I want you to know how meaningful it is to me personally, how you've been such a source of encouragement to Gracie and me through these difficult times. And if you think that somehow we don't have enough to be, what can we do against such overwhelming odds? It starts with one person sharing the hope of Christ with one other person. 
let God take care of the big things, okay? Be faithful to just share your own relationship with Christ and, and communicate that to the best of your abilities. And you watch what God can do. Go to johnnyandfriends.com, J-O-N-I and friends.com and help be a part of what's happening here. Johnny, thank you so much for being here today. Blessings, Peter. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Now, if you hear a little bit of noise here on this particular block, it's because I have switched locations, and I'm doing this live from the hospital. I was going to get Gracie to speak a little bit on it, but she can't right now. And so I've asked someone very special to come on the show and talk a little bit about her journey. Now, we were sitting here in our hospital room, and here comes this young woman in with a guitar and all kinds of devices and musical devices. She's a music therapist and she graduated from Belmont University in Nashville where Gracie and I met and attended school. We were both music majors there. So as you can imagine, that was kind of cool. This is Sophie Gastel. Where are you originally from, Sophie? I'm originally from Rockford, Illinois. Did you understand me the way I talk? (laughs) Yes, those years in Nashville really helped. Tell us a little bit about music therapy, why you got into it, what you hope to accomplish. Yeah, music therapy, I originally got into it because I have two major passions, people and music, and my sweet mate freshman year at Belmont was actually a music therapy major, and so I kind of just stumbled upon it and fell in love with it from there, and the reason I got into this internship, I really want to work with adults, especially in addiction medicine, but I'm embedded in the palliative care team as well as the general hospital, and we go around and see patients all around the hospital with different diagnoses, with ranges of goals, and definitely ranges of interventions that we do too. What has surprised you about this? The amount of storytelling that happens in this job. It's so much about learning about people's stories and where they've come from and how that plays into their lives and how they got into the hospital as well. So when you walked into our room and we started talking about where you're from, and you found out we were both Belmont students, you know, where Gracie and I met right there at the student center where you went to school. What was that like for you? Because we're out here in Denver. We're a long ways from Nashville. We're out here in Denver. So what was that like for you? It was a major shock for sure, because anytime I say Belmont University, they're like, where? And and so when Gracie gave me the big old smile and the laugh that she did when I said Belmont University, it just it felt like a piece of home because I don't really get to meet a lot of people from Nashville especially not people from Belmont. So it was a really, really special thing for me. All right. Now, you play the guitar. What else do you play? I'm a vocal principal, but I can play the piano, the ukulele, and we've got a ton of different percussion instruments that I'm not very good at. Well, I saw one, and I thought it was a tambourine, but it turns out it was just a stool that collapses. And I was afraid you were bringing a tambourine into the room, and I thought, dear Lord, a tambourine. No, say it ain't so. But... It was not a tambourine, so everybody rest assured it was not a tambourine. What are the more meaningful things that you feel like music therapy brings to people, people who are dealing with significant trauma or challenges or whatever, but what are some of the things that you feel like that music therapy can do that almost nothing else can do? 
Yeah, I, I'll actually give you an example. I had a patient, um, actually he passed away two weeks ago, but um, I worked with him for over four months and we did songwriting for four months and he was a tough cookie. He is not somebody that would just trust you right off the bat. So I spent a month just getting to know the guy and then all of a sudden he started rapping for me and we took all those raps that he did and turned them into three different songs and I got to share those with his family before he passed away and I spent some time with with his mom and she said, wow, I've never heard of any of this stuff that he put into these these songs so it was a really really special moment that must have been and you know music's able to transcend so many things and we sat here the other day with you and just played some, uh, some songs on your guitar Gracie sang with you and it was just really meaningful then you brought a keyboard up here to me which was kind of cool and I got to go find a pedal for this thing mm-hmm. but it's very meaningful to be able to have that and it just it just felt for a moment, we just kind of left all the craziness of the hospital and we just played some music. And music has been the one thing that Gracie and I have been able to have during all this lengthy journey that started long before you were born. <laughs> and uh, we've been able to play music together, sing. It's kept us from going into some darker places because it, it is, her life is filled with pain. And we're gonna have her on in just a minute, but she was just having a rough afternoon and. And Sophie comes in and she just um, lights up a room, even with a mask, <laughs> you're able to do that. And she's, she carries her guitar around and all this gear, bless her heart, she's got to just look. I told her she needs to get like a little trailer or something and pull it around. I want you to know how much it, it means to us, Sophie, just to have a little taste of Nashville, a little taste of, of home there. And the music, especially that you bring and just the joy. And, and she she was very gracious to ask, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Which, of course, you all know as listeners of this program, that's that's the question we ask. So, Sophie, thank you. Any last words? No, just just thank you, Peter, for allowing me to get to hang out with you guys and share music together. It is our pleasure. All right, we're going to do some more music with Sophie, with Gracie, uh, a little bit later, but she has more patience to see. I had hoped to have Gracie on today, but she's had a bit of a challenging day, so we'll have her on another time uh, we're going to be here for a little while longer and i want you to just please keep her in your prayers she's got a very difficult life she's got a lot of hard things that she has to deal with when i first met gracie at belmont one of the songs that she introduced me to was a song called one heart and we've performed that i don't know how many times over the years and it's just been kind of a staple for us and it really says everything that she wants to say as an artist and just as an individual who struggled with very difficult realities. And so we got in the studio recently, just just last year, uh, before Christmas, and just laid down this with a friend of ours. His name is Steve Nelson, and he's playing harmonica with it. We just sat down at the keyboard and played it. I thought I'd close up today with this song. I thought you might enjoy it. We haven't released it on a record or anything. I'm just doing this for you all and appreciate all the prayers and the the notes, the calls, and so much more. Thank you to Johnny for a great conversation today about what she's doing. Thank you to Sophie. Uh, Thank you to these networks that carry the show, particularly American Family Radio, for all that you do to help us get the word out to family caregivers. I thought this particular song would be the best way to close 
today's show, taking the suggestion of a friend of mine. I've been including one of Gracie's songs on each show for a while, and I'll continue doing that. And hopefully we'll have her on next week, and she'll be able to kind of share in person how she's doing and how she's faring through this challenge. But I'm going to close out with this song that Gracie sang to me a lifetime ago, the first time I ever heard it, and it's become so important to us. And there are many, many times when we'd sit around the piano and just sing this song, and I've always loved her doing this. And so we got in the studio last year and cut this. Faithfully is 
by living faithfully. Oh, by living faithfully. In your love. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.